Good morning and welcome to another episode of Kings and Queens, the podcast where we read, watch, play, and discuss history's favorite scream queens and literary kings of horror. I am your host, Nat, and this week we are diving into chapter 13 of Stephen King's Holly. Last week was the tiniest bit heartbreaking as we watched one of the victim's mothers uh, kind of descent into alcoholism and eventually, I believe, an emergency room trip. Uh, and this week, it looks like we're going to get a little more insight into our suspects. As a reminder, when you hear this sound, that means I have stopped reading from the text and am instead discussing thoughts, interpretation, things like that. When the sound replays, that means the mic is back to the author. Without further ado, let's begin Chapter 13 of Holly. Chapter 13. January 6th, 2021. Part 1, page 117. That's enough, Em says to Roddy. Turn it off. My dear, Roddy says, this is history. Don't you agree, Bonnie? Bonnie Ray is standing in the doorway of Em's downstairs study nook with stacks of last year's Christmas cards forgotten in her hands. She is staring at the television, transfixed as a mob storms the Capitol, breaking windows and scaling walls. Some wave the stars and bars, some the Gadsden rattlesnake flag, the one that says, don't tread on me, many more with Trump banners the size of bedsheets. I don't care. It's awful. Turn it off. It is awful. She means that, but it's also awfully exciting. Emily thinks Donald Trump is a bore, but he's also a sorcerer, with some abracadabra magic she doesn't understand, but in her deepest heart envies. He has turned America's podgy, apathetic middle class into revolutionaries. Intellectually, they disgust her, but there is another side to her, usually expressed only in her diary, and the experiences of the last nine years have changed her at an age when personality change is supposed to be next to impossible. She would never say so, but this political sacrilege fascinates her. A part of her hopes they break into the offices, haul out elected representatives of both parties, and string them up. Let them feed the birds. What else are they good for? Turn it off, Rodney. Watch it upstairs if you must. Now, I know I mentioned before, looking through reviews of this book before I kind of started reading it, a lot of people complained that Stephen King was just too angry, too heated while he was writing this. And there are some times that I have to agree that the author's opinion, tone, things like that, is coming out louder than maybe it should, though I feel I don't have the authority to tell Stephen King how to write either. I find it really interesting that she uses the term sacrilege because that's referring to you know, misuse of something sacred, and she obviously has a sour opinion of the politicians there, so is it just the ground of the Oval Office there? Is it the demonstration that she disagrees with? What is the sacred thing that is supposed to have been violated? I do think that word choice was also very poignant because of how often they refer to liver and these organs from their victims as sacrament. They have a lot of opinions on what is holy, divine, all of that. I also can't say that I disagree with her in the what are they good for. I mean, realistically, in today's political climate, does anybody feel like their representative is actually representing them? As you like, dear. Roddy reaches for the controller on the table next to him, but it slips from his hand and thumps to the carpet as a reporter says, do you call this a riot or an actual insurrection? At this point, it's impossible to tell. 
He picks up the controller awkwardly, not grasping it but holding it between the edges of his palms. Then, with a grimace, he thumbs the off button, killing the reporter's voiceover in mid-speculation. He puts the controller back on the table and turns to Bonnie. What do you think, my dear? Riot or insurrection? Is this the 21st century's version of Fort Sumter? Roddy, I find disgusting. He obviously is oddly interested in these women that are significantly younger than him. But not only that, this highlights the meticulous nature of what the Harrises are doing. He 100%, this is a farce, picking up the controller and dropping it and the palms and the... He is giving off that harmless old man vibe to make Bonnie feel safe and possibly feel more pity. She shakes her head. I don't know what it is, but I bet if black people were doing that, the police would be shooting them. Pooh, Emily says. I don't believe that for a minute. Roddy gets up. Emily, would you work some of your magic on my hands? They don't care for this cold weather. In a few minutes. I want to get Bonnie started. That's fine. He leaves the room, and soon they hear him ascending the stairs, which he does without pause. There's no arthritis in his knees or hips. At least not yet. I've put a file on your laptop titled Christmas and New Year's, Bonnie says. The names and addresses of everyone who sent you and Professor Harris a card is in it. There's a lot of them. Fine, Emily says. Now we need some sort of letter. I don't know what you'd call it. She knows very well, and she already has a complete contact list on her phone. She could transfer it to a computer in a GIF, but Bonnie doesn't need to know that. Bonnie needs to see her as the stereotypical elderly academic, head in the clouds, losing a few miles an hour off her mental fastball, and largely helpless outside her own field of expertise. And harmless, of course. Would never dream of insurrectionists hanging elected representatives of the United States government from lampposts, especially the blacks, a word which in her mind she will never capitalize, and the fanny fuckers, of which there are more every day. I wish I could say I was surprised, but at the same time, what the fuck, Em? She is a vile human being. And in terms of being an, a literary academic professor, right, the inability or unwillingness to capitalize the B in black is essentially taking away the the title, the name, the, the, the essence of the word. She is stripping them of their identity and saying this is not a people, place, or thing. This is a nothing to her. Well, if you were a business, Bonnie lectures earnestly, I suppose you'd call it a form letter. I prefer to think of it as a core letter. I can show you how to personalize each response to include not just thank yous, if there was a gift, and Happy New Year wishes, but personal details about families, promotions, awards, whatever. Marvelous, Em exclaims. You're a genius, thinking, as if any teenager wouldn't do the same thing, between Call of Duty sessions and posting pictures of his penis to his girlfriend on WhatsApp. Not really, Bonnie says. It's pretty basic. But she flushes with pleasure. If you dictate the core letter, I'll keyboard it. Excellent idea. Just let me think how I want to word it while I see what I can do about poor Roddy's hands. His arthritis is pretty bad, isn't it? Oh, it comes and goes, Em says, and smiles. This woman gets such an insane amount of giddy pleasure from lying to this young woman and tricking her 
into believing that this is who they are. Chapter 13, Part 2, Page 119 Roddy is lying on their bed with his gnarled hands clasped on his chest. She doesn't like seeing him that way. It's how he'd look in his coffin. But dead men don't smile the way he's smiling at her. He is still such a charmer. She closes the bedroom door and goes to her vanity. From it, she takes an unlabeled jar. I'm thinking we should scratch her from the list, Roddy says as she returns to the bed and sits beside him. Someone has nevertheless been fascinated by firm breasts and a slim waist, M says, unscrewing the lid of the jar. Not to mention those long legs. Inside the jar is a yellow, jelly-like substance. There wasn't a great deal of fat on the late Peter Steinman, but they harvested what there was. Y'all, I gotta tell you, I called that within like two seconds. The second they said that it was yellow, human fat. Of course she's good looking, Roddy says impatiently, but it's not that. We've never taken someone we've had a close association with. It's dangerous. I worked in the same department as Jorge Castro, she points out. In fact, I was questioned. She widens her eyes. Also, you bowled in that league, the golden oldies. Not these days, he lifts his hands. As for you being questioned about Castro, everyone in your department was. It was routine. This might not be the same. She works in our house. This, of course, is true. Emily called the girl on Boxing Day and offered her part-time employment, updating her computer to make her correspondence easier, also to create a spreadsheet containing the names of the current Writer's Workshop applicants. M swipes a finger into the yellow substance which lined Peter Steinman's abdomen not all that long ago. Hold him out, sweetie. Roddy holds out his hands, the fingers slightly twisted, the knuckles more than slightly swollen. Easy, easy. Shit, it was not a farce. Although I don't feel bad for rushing to judgment, especially since his counterpart is actively creating a farce for the victim. Just a little pain, then sweet relief, she says, and begins coating his fingers with the lotion, paying particular attention to the knuckles. Several times he grimaces and sucks in breath, making a snake-like hissing. Now flex, she says. He closes his hands slowly. Better. Of course. A bit more, please. There isn't much left, hon. Just a little. She swipes her finger again, creating a clear glass comma at the bottom of the jar. She transfers the lotion to Roddy's left palm and he begins rubbing it into his fingers, now flexing them almost naturally. So not only am I skeptical of their search for immortality or continued vitality into their late 80s, I am also skeptical, or even more so now, that this that rubbing fat on their knuckles supposedly has helped within 30 seconds of application. That does not seem practical to me. These folks are just genuinely Delulu. Her employment is short-term, Emily says, and she understands that. She'll be back at the library full-time as soon as the extended Christmas break ends and the spring semester begins. And of course she'll be working on her writing, with my encouragement. Is she any good? I haven't seen any yet, but guessing by the subject matter, I would say not. The subject matter being? She leans in close and whispers, Vampires in love. Rodney actually giggles. 
But in the course of our conversations, I've also learned a great deal about her, and it's all good. She's quits with her boyfriend, and even though she's instigated the breakup, it's still painful to her. She wonders if there's something wrong with her, a character flaw, that makes her unable to participate in a stable relationship. Roddy scoffs. Based on what she's told me, yes, she does talk to me. The boyfriend, this Tom, was the very definition of a loser. She's well rid of him, I'd say. I'm sure you're right, but this is about how she feels and what it means to us. She also has a relationship with her mother that I'd describe as fraught. Not at all uncommon. <laughs> Young women and their mothers often butt heads, but also good for us. Do you know what she said to me? My mother is a controlling bitch, but I love her. Also, keep rubbing those hands, dear. Work that stuff deep into the joints. Also, the head librarian at the Reynolds, name of Conroy, has fixed upon our Bonnie. See, now this interpretation definitely brings into question some of Penny Dahl's story. And if Penny refuses to be completely transparent with the private investigator, I'm not sure how far they're gonna be able to get. So the fraught relationship with the mother, was that Penny's perception? Was it the mother's perception and she lied? Or was it Emily's perception of how Penny talked about her? And of course, the final option is that that's the truth. The relationship was indeed fraught. According to her, he has a bad case of Roman hands and Russian fingers. Roddy gives a brief cackle. Haven't heard that one in a while. That is 100% a euphemism for someone who offers way too much unwanted sexual touching. If we wait until October or November, as we usually do, she will have left our employment, our part-time seasonal employment, nine or maybe even ten months before. If we're questioned, and I suppose we might be, we can tell the absolute truth. M ticks off the points on her fingers, which are almost as slim as they were when she was a girl, wearing shin-length skirts and bobby socks. Unhappy breakup with boyfriend, a need to escape mother's influence. Best of all, sexual harassment in the workplace. You see how good all this is? How she might just decide to up stakes and leave? I suppose she might, he says, when you put it like that. And we know her routine. She always takes the same route from the library. She pauses, then continues in a lower voice. I know you like looking at her breasts. I don't mind. My father used to say a man on a diet can still read a menu. So yes, I've looked. She has what my students, the male ones, would call a fine rack. Somebody explained to me how Rodney Harris has not been arrested for Roman hands and Russian fingers. Aesthetic issues aside, those breasts amount to almost 4% of her body fat. She holds up the almost empty jug. That's a lot of arthritis relief, honey bun, not to mention my sciatica. She screws on the lid. So, have I convinced you? To me, this exchange between M and Roddy Harris is very telling. Um, it's very obvious that this is mostly for the benefit of Rodney and that M is appealing to him to try and get him to make Bonnie this victim. Because yes, you like looking at her breast, but it's 4% body fat. That's a lot of arthritis relief. And then she throws herself in as an afterthought. Not to mention, it can help me too. Roddy is definitely the driving force behind all of this experimentation, sacrament, whatever he wants to call it. 
He flexes his fingers rapidly and without apparent pain. Let's say you've given me food for thought. Good. Now give me a kiss. I have to go downstairs and resume pretending to be computer illiterate. And you have a riot to watch. End of chapter 13. This episode, this chapter, actually kind of gave me the heebie-jeebies. Seeing the planning and the, the intimate planning that is going into these kidnappings and, and how their bodies can be harvested, utilized to the fullest extent of these people's capabilities is unnerving. I think it really highlights how dangerous these people are, not because of their violent tendencies and their apparent hunger for human flesh, but also because of their inherent lack of grasp on reality. That's what's really scary. I think Bonnie's a smart girl and that she can hold her own, so I'm curious to see how this plays out. Until next week, my friends, I will see you again on Sunday. We'll go right through Chapter 14. Thank you, as always, for joining me. It is always a pleasure. Just remember, it's all a bunch of hocus-pocus, and uh, don't forget to like and subscribe.